Jesus loves all people. That was our last block of lessons that we learned in Cubbies. On Wednesday night, I teach three and four-year-olds the Bible. And one of the stories we used was this story that we're going to look at today about four men who carried a man on a mat to Jesus. And another story that we used in that time was about a dad who came to Jesus whose little girl was very sick. And, and then he gets word that the little girl has died. And so when I'm down on the floor with these three and four-year-olds and I'm telling this story and I tell them, hey, this little girl may have been the age of of you all. And daddies were, this daddy was so sad. And it was one of those moments, and it don't happen often. I wish it happened every time. But it's like, I got them. I mean, I got their attention. I mean, they're, they're with me. They're trekking. I've got some little pictures I'm using. And there's Jesus and, and he comes into the house with this little girl and everyone laughs because he says, oh, she's not really dead. And, and Jesus is there. And then I pull that next slide out and, and that next picture. And I said, and Jesus says, little girl, get up. And it was like lights went on. Two boys were over here hugging each other because of what just happened. And I thought, now this is amazing. What a moment. When we think about Jesus loving everyone. I don't know what's going on in your life today and where you are and what kind of challenges and difficulties you're facing. But I can guarantee all of us are facing something today. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves us, and Jesus can meet the greatest needs in our life. Take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse number 17 today. We've been kind of walking through Luke 5 together as we've been thinking about living on mission and who is our one. In Luke chapter 5, we pick up in verse number 17. Luke 5, 17. On one of those days... While he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also some from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, before Jesus, Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know, That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. 
Then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for speaking to us today. And God, uh, I pray, Lord, for that person who needs to hear your word today, that through the power of the Spirit, through the power of the Scripture, that you would touch hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus is in the northern area of Israel, up along the Sea of Galilee, and he has been preaching and healing. And now he comes to an occasion where he is in a home and he is preaching and teaching. And it's interesting, the groups of people that are probably there on this occasion. Probably some people just from the community, curious onlookers, or those who are looking for Jesus to bring some kind of relief and help in their life. The disciples are there, as those who have committed to follow Jesus are there. And then it also tells us that there are Pharisees, those uh, leaders, religious leaders, those who knew the Old Testament law, that they were there. And not only from that area of Galilee, but from the area of Judea, and also some have come all the way from Jerusalem and have traveled north to hear this Jesus speak. And it's interesting that it tells us that Jesus, while he is there, has power in him to heal. And I think Dr. Luke is saying this, look, there are a lot of religious people that are in this place gathered to listen to Jesus, but there is only one there who has power in him to do the miraculous and to bring life change. There were others who were there, but there was only one there with power in him to make a difference in people lives. While others were casting on their bonds of legalism, Jesus is seeking to set people free. While there are those that are there that are struggling physically and spiritually, Jesus is there to set them free. And so as we look at this passage, we really get to see how these four men take this man to Jesus, and as they work to take him to Jesus, by faith, they find that Jesus meets our greatest need. Jesus is there to meet needs to the glory of God. Jesus meets needs to the glory of God. This morning, I kind of want to set this sermon up in kind of a uh, a three-scene uh, uh, kind of uh, a narrative. It, it would be like a, a TV show with three different scenes in it, and you would probably take a commercial break between each of the scenes. But the first scene that I want us to think about are these men who are carrying this paralyzed man to Jesus. And I want us to think about that in this light. It takes faith to bring someone to Jesus. It takes faith to bring someone to Jesus. It's no wonder that as Jesus is with these men, notice down in in Luke chapter 5 and verse number 20, it says, seeing their faith. It takes faith to 
to bring someone to Jesus. First off, this faith has to come with a sense of conviction. Genuine faith has a true conviction about who Jesus is. Genuine faith has convictions about Jesus. Now, this guy has been paralyzed. We know we don't know any of the backstory. We don't know if he uh, had something happen during his childbirth or something happened when he became an adult. We have no idea. But what we do know is that this man is helpless and hopeless and probably living a life of despair and and trying to lean on the begging of others. But these four men, as Jesus looks at them, he says, seeing their faith in verse number 20. You know, when people go through all kinds of problems, the world always has solutions. Picture a man who's facing difficulty and challenges in his life today. And what, what does the world say? Hey, you know what? Give this guy some fun. I mean, uh, take him to a music concert. That's soothing. That's, that, he'll, he'll appreciate that. Let him enjoy some music. No, 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 this is what you need to do. Entertain him with some, some sporting affair. There's a little sports affair going on today. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. Uh, there's this little football game going on. Uh, uh, entertain him with some, some sports. Bring some fun into his life. Let him watch the athletes compete and, and do something. Someone else says, no, 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 it's not that. You know what? If he just was educated, if you would just take him to school and let him sit under the best lecturers, then then this guy would feel better about himself because he would be so smart. And others are saying, well, maybe he needs to understand philosophy and the behavioral patterns of people's life and why people act and think that the way that they do and, and how they come up with, with a social norm. Well, maybe he just needs a... You know what these four guys... They're, they have a conviction. Music, athletics, uh, education, those are all good things in their place. But these guys have a conviction. This man needs to go to Jesus. There is only one who can take care of all the issues of life. And so people today and nearly every day of their life will spend life in musical pursuits, athletic competitions. They'll, they'll further their education. And those are all good things. But the A number one issue, and for us as believers, The A number one pointing person in our life is saying, Jesus is the answer. It's not found out here in society. It's not found in the worldly system. And these things can be good and they can be helpful. But there is only one who has the answer to our life. These guys have some conviction and the answer is Jesus. Let me ask you, when someone comes to you with a problem, What's your answer? Well, if you just read this book, you know, if you would just uh, listen to some soft music before you come home from work and de-stress, can I tell you the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer to the challenges of our life, make sure that Jesus is there. Make sure that Jesus is working. Faith has convictions about Jesus. But we also see that when we think about faith, is that faith is really willing to take some risks. You think about that with me. Faith is going to take a risk here. 
You know, the society today tells us, and man, we are on polar opposites with many when it comes to religion and politics. And so just don't talk about those kinds of things. But this, these guys are going to take a risk. These four men are saying, look, we want to take you to Jesus. We want to take you to Jesus. We know the answer is Jesus. They took a risk. You take the risk of offending. You take the risk of hostility. You take the risk of rejection. And for many, the comfort zone and the comfort bubble of life is not even willing to take one small step and say, would you think about Jesus? Every time we share our faith, every time we uh, seek to open up and share how the Lord's working in our life, we take a risk. We take a risk. But the picture is, we've got to. We're called to. And matter of fact, Scripture reminds us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it could be, as we're thinking about that one person in our life, that the Lord says, look, there's one person here, and you are called to take faith over fear. And take that step and say, look, Jesus has changed my life and he can change yours too. I understand we don't want to push anything down anybody's throat. We don't, we don't have to be mean and ugly and all of those kinds of things. But anytime we bring up our faith, there is a risk. Do it anyway. Pray for God to give you the words to say. Pray for God to give you the time to be quiet. But listen, it's not an option. Faith takes spiritual risks. And then we find that faith perseveres despite obstacles. Faith perseveres despite obstacles. These guys finally get this guy loaded up and and they're all four on different corners of his mat and they're carrying him and it is too crowded. They can't get through the door. There's just too many people. And so they come up with this idea, let's carry him up to the roof and clear some tiles and we'll let him down that way. It's interesting that people were the obstacle. People were the opportunity for Jesus, but people were also the obstacle. When we think about taking spiritual risks, we are called to do that. But when it comes to being an obstacle, we have to be careful that we're not doing that. Let me give you some examples of things I've heard over the years and heard recently. Someone who comes into church who hasn't been in church in a while and someone says, whoa, man, I'm surprised the walls aren't falling in. Now, how does that person feel? I'll tell you, boy, I'll get in the flesh in a heartbeat when people act like that. Because listen, they have taken the courageous step to walk back into church and now how are we acting toward them? Like the walls are going to fall down, like God's going to strike them dead. Listen, they know they've been out of church. They know they're away from the Lord. They know where their heart is. Is there any reason for you to point that out and to make some ridiculous comment that makes them feel already worse after they've taken the courageous step to come in? Don't be an obstacle. 
Man, I haven't seen you in a long time around here. I haven't seen you since you had babies. I haven't seen you since... Listen. Zip it. Zip it. Don't be an obstacle. Don't be an obstacle. You know what people want when they come into this place? They want to feel warmly welcomed and received. You know what they want to feel when they come into this place? They want to feel like, hey, man, I'm coming in and I need to hear something from the Lord. They may have tried everything else out there. And listen, there's everybody trying everything else out there. I mean, everything. I mean, from changing your identity to all the alcohol, drugs, uh, everything that the world can pursue is out beyond these walls. And so when someone walks in here, we have to be mindful. So why don't you just picture yourself on mission every time you come? Don't just uh, open the door and then walk in. Make sure there's nobody behind you. Some genuine manners here. It goes a long way. Some genuine kindness. If there's someone that, that is sitting around, here, uh, around you and you don't know them, can you just take 30 seconds and say, hey, have I met you before? It's that picture of saying, look, I'm, I'm not going to be an obstacle. Instead, I'm going to use this time as an opportunity to be on mission for the Lord. All right? Someone often, when they take a risk to invite somebody, and then when all these people out here act like, uh, you know, anything but kind and loving, this person thinks, why would I come back to this place? Don't be an obstacle. It takes faith to bring someone to Jesus. Now we stop for commercial break and, and uh, we open up with the next scene. Now we've got these men who have just dropped, uh, lowered, not dropped, hopefully. Uh, that, that'd make problems worse, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, they've just lowered this guy down right before Jesus. And, and in light of what I'm just saying through faith persists through obstacles and people can be obstacles, I want you to notice in verse number 20, the first thing that Jesus says to this man. Friend. Do you see it? Friend. I appreciate and love that. Jesus knew he was a sinner. Hey, this guy knew he was a sinner. He knew that. He reached out and he called him friend. So that brings us to our second truth. It not only takes faith to bring someone to Jesus, but Jesus meets people at their greatest need. Jesus meets people at their greatest need. So now we get this guy lowered before Jesus and he looks at him and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. This had to be quite a moment. Jesus is meeting him at his greatest need and he declares that his sins are forgiven. Jesus meets our greatest need of forgiveness. Now, when we look at this guy, we think, man, his worst problem is that he's paralyzed. 
He can't move his arms and his legs. He can't get out and be free. He can't do the things that he wants to do. He can't enjoy life like you and I have today as you've strolled in here and how we often just take advantage of uh, or take our health for granted and we we walk through life and, and then we get sick or then something happens or then we face a crisis and we're not moving like we used to move or then we just eventually get older and we can't do the things that we used to do. The picture here is that this guy's greatest issue was not a physical issue. Despite his physical limitations, despite the fact that he had the worst of all in that he was paralyzed and couldn't do anything for himself and on his own, his most important issue in his life is that he needed forgiveness. Today, if you're here, your greatest issue is not what's going on at work, not your financial portfolio or your dwindling checking account. Your greatest issue today is not that you're facing some kind of uh, physical adversity in your life. Jesus knows the greatest need of our life is that we are forgiven. And he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I love this this phrase because it is in the perfect tense, which means that it is an ongoing living state, that you are forgiven today and you're forgiven ongoing throughout the rest of your life. Your sins are forgiven. You're completely forgiven. You will no longer face any of the wrath or retaliation of God in your life. Your sin is forgiven and now all is left is my grace. I heard about a story of retaliation uh, out of Broken Bow, Nebraska from a year, few years ago. A guy had stopped there, a truck driver, and stopped there to, to eat. And while he was eating, three guys, rough guys, pulled up on motorcycles. And as they uh, came in, they were already kind of uh, amped up and a little wild and they begin to pester this guy and uh, this truck driver and then eventually one of them comes over and grabs a few of his fries and another one uh, takes his cup and another one then turns his hamburger around and takes a bite out of the other side of his hamburger and the guy just walks out and pays his bill and then leaves. And so these guys are saying, oh, this guy is not much of a man. Look, he wouldn't stand up to us. And the waitress said, well, I don't know if he's much of a man, but I can tell you this, he ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on the way out. <laughs> so Sometimes we think... We think when we do something wrong that uh, the Lord is going to retaliate in our life. And, and that's not the picture. The picture here is, is that you are forgiven and you have an ongoing state of living in forgiveness before me now. So we have to think about what does this mean for all of us today? The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We can look and think of sin as breaking God's law or sin as committing unrighteousness as 1 John 3, 4 and 1 John 5, 17 have to tell us. We can think about it in the active sense in which we think something or say something or do something that displeases God. Romans 14, 23 reminds us that anything that is not of faith is sin. And James reminds us that when we know to do good and we don't do it, it's sin. That's a sin of omission. And that all of us are sinners. 
And for us on this side of the cross, we recognize that Christ died for our sins, as 1 Corinthians 15, 3 clearly says. But there are some beautiful pictures of what God does with our sin. As we think of Psalm 103, verse number 12, how he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Hey, that's the joy of being forgiven. As Isaiah 38, 17, uh, with King Hezekiah, the Lord says, I've cast all your sins behind my back. Or as Isaiah 43, 25 reminds us that, that he sweeps away our sin and remembers them no more. Or as Jeremiah 31, 34 has that same thought that he forgives our sins and our iniquities he remembers no more. Or Micah 7, 19 where he casts all of our sins into the depths of the sea. The picture is, is that the Lord takes our sin and says, you are forgiven. That's why Jesus came. His name is Jesus. Matthew 121. He came to forgive his people of their sin. That's his name, Jesus. Jehovah saves. Or as John the Baptist would point to Jesus in John 129, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the picture. So today you're one of two places. You either have sin attached to your life and you stand unforgiven before a holy God, or because you have trusted Jesus alone as the only way of salvation, you have a state of living in forgiveness. So, I ask you today, do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you've trusted Jesus in your life? This is life's most important question, and this is our greatest need. And before Jesus moves to the physical, he touches the spiritual. Why? Because, listen, our spiritual journey is an eternal journey. Our physical bodies are going to be here for just a little while. But spiritually, we are going to live somewhere forever. So Jesus makes sure that his spiritual life is fit. Then the Pharisees and those religious leaders begin to question, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? This guy is a blasphemer. What is going on with this? And Jesus then rises up and he says, hey, what's easier for me to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to say to this guy, get up, take up your mat, your stretcher, and go home. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Jesus said, look, I'm going to take care of the greater issue. But so you know and understand that I can take care of life's greatest issues. Let me show you how I can take care of the other issues as well. And he says... In verse number 24, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Jesus not only meets our greatest need of forgiveness, but Jesus can meet all of our needs because he is God. Jesus can meet all of our needs. He's God. And that's what they're, the, the, the Pharisees are questioning. How can, this, how can anybody forgive sins but God? Jesus says, I am God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I am God, I am here, and I can take this man and I can tell him to get up, take his mat, and go home. 
Now we go to commercial break again and, and we come back and there's this third scene. And this third scene, it's just kind of a picture of, of kind of celebration that is going on. There's this picture of, of, of just, uh, pandemonium and, and, and awe and, and this sense of, of, wow, we can't believe that the, that this just happened because it tells us that everyone left glorifying God. Notice what happens. As this guy is told in verse number 24, I tell you, get up, take, uh, take your stretcher and go home. It says in verse number 25, immediately he got up. Immediately. Now this guy has been paralyzed. You understand that after just even being in bed for a few days after being sick, when you put those weak legs on the floor after they haven't been on the floor in a little while, then they're kind of wobbly. This guy has had a life change. This guy gets up and immediately is not only able to stand up, but he is able to take his mat, his stretcher. He's able to, to walk. And so everyone leaves glorifying God. First, this lame man leaves glorifying God. I can imagine this moment as he takes up his mat, immediate strength in his legs. And he's and, and, and in today's thing, we think, man, this guy is singing. I'm walking on sunshine and don't it feel good? You know, Mark Cohn uh, wrote the song walking in Memphis, walking with my feet. 10 feet off a beal. It's that kind of picture, man. This guy is like, dude, I've got strength in my legs. I'm able to take my mat. And notice where Jesus sends him. Go home. I love that. I don't think Jesus was sending him to an empty house. I think Jesus was sending him home. And I wonder who was at home. I wonder... Was there a mom or a dad who carried this little guy and watched him struggle all of his life? Now into adulthood, they feel helpless and hopeless as parents. Maybe this uh, paralyzed situation happened later in life and he was married and he used to go outside and run with his kids and have fun with them. And now... All they've seen the last few years is the shell of a man who feels desperate and empty and helpless and he can't do anything for his family anymore. He's a broken man. And now Jesus sends him home. And this man leaves giving glory to God. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you. There's this picture of him giving praise to God. God, praise you for what you have done. And then he walks in and I don't know. Can you picture this? Mom, dad, guess what? I have met Jesus. And he not only has forgiven me, but he has healed me. His life was changed. But then the Bible tells us, not only was this this man's response, but notice everyone else as well. Notice all of the people. The crowd left glorifying God. This seems to be the climax of the 
the miracles of Jesus as he is in this house. He gets up in verse 25 and, and he picks up and he goes home glorifying God. And then it says, and then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. The crowd left glorifying God thinking, God, we are filled with awe. The, the, the word that is used in, in verse number 26, they were filled with awe, gives the picture that they were seized with amazement. And notice, the lame man and all the crowd, they were glorifying God. They weren't asking the, the lame man to sign their Old Testament scriptures. They, they weren't asking the lame man to, to stop. Hey, we, you know, we want to get a selfie with you here. They, they weren't gathering up the four guys who carried him to Jesus and say, hey, let's give a round of applause for these four guys who carried this man to Jesus. Everyone was pointed one direction. We give glory to God, God has touched one again. We're challenging our church to think about who's that one person in our life, in our sphere of influence, that we can begin to share Jesus with. Who's your one? And for some of you, you're going to be praying by faith and, and stepping out of your comfort zone to, to share Jesus and take a risk. And for some of you, there may be a life that is restored, someone who comes to know Jesus and they are saved. Can I tell you? God uses you as a tool, but you don't get the glory. God may use you, but ultimately... We recognize that every Sunday and every day a life is changed. We give glory to God. Next week, we're going to ask you, who's that one person in your life? Who's that one person that you're going to be praying for? Who's that one person that you're going to seek to share Jesus with? A friend or a family member? Maybe it's somebody in your close proximity that maybe made a decision for Jesus years ago and you've watched their life just get off course and, and you're praying for God to bring restoration. Maybe it's someone who's never given a profession of faith and they've never had their sins forgiven before. And God has, in his divine sovereign plan, placed you in their life and you in their life so that you'll be about living on mission and seeking to touch one. All of us know one person who doesn't know Jesus. Is there one person the Lord's laying on your heart? I'm so thankful that we have this biblical narrative of four guys who came together and carried this man and brought him to Jesus. And this is what I can tell you. As you think about your one, and you turn in a card that just has their first name on it, Bob, Mary, Sally, whatever that is, you write that on there, and I will tell you, there will be four men, our pastoral staff, 
that will be praying with you and for you and over those cards and saying, Lord, touch them, save them, bring forgiveness, bring reconciliation. Lord, do something. And may we all, Lord, just be in awe of you once again. And with that, let's pray. Father, in the amazing, awesome name of Jesus, we come. The one who not only has power to to heal sickness, but the one who has power to forgive sins. Lord, for those of us who've experienced that forgiveness today, Lord, I pray that you would lay on our hearts that one. And Lord, if there's anyone here today and they don't know that they have trusted you as the savior of their life, they don't know that they've been forgiven of sin, they don't know if they die today, whether they'd go to heaven or hell. Today, Lord, I pray that they take that step and know that their life is right with you, know that their sins are forgiven, and know that their names are on the registry of heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen.